Welcome to Primary Cast, your unofficial study group for the ASIM primary exam. My name is Charlotte Durand and I'm your host. In each episode, I'm joined by a special guest to cover some of the core content from this exam. All of the study notes and some extra info can be found online at asimprimarypodcast.com. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the buy me a coffee icon and you can donate to the podcast to help keep it open access and up online. This episode, we're going to be discussing abdominal and pelvic anatomy with one of my colleagues, Dr. David Monks. Let's get into it. So on this episode today, I'm joined by Dr. David Monks, who is a colleague of mine working in emergency in Darwin. He's currently an emergency senior registrar and then still works casually doing some retrieval medicine with CareFlight. He is interested in all aspects of trauma, pre-hospital, retrieval medicine, and expedition medicine. David, thank you so much for joining me today to go through some primary cast stuff. Thanks for having me. Do you have any fond memories of sitting the primary exam yourself? I don't think anyone has any fond memories of sitting <laughs> the primary exam. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's hopefully a, it's all distant in the past, but uh, I think uh, I've been listening to your podcast just to before this, and uh, yeah, it's. Um, uh, something that I think it needs to be done um, and it really gives you a good basis for going forward as an advanced trainee and it's just one of those things you need to get through. Yeah, exactly right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for, uh, for being a part of the podcast. What we're going to be talking about today is abdominal and pelvic anatomy and a lot of it will be images and models and pictures from the book. So some of that stuff is obviously not included in an audio audio medium. Um, But we're going to talk firstly about a particular image, and that is you'll be handed a CT axial slice of an abdomen, and you'll be asked to identify structures on that slice. Can you talk me through how you'd approach that? Yeah, sure. So it's likely that this image will be at the level of the transpolaric plane. And so one tip we would be just to make sure that you have the orientation right before you start naming organs. And when you get stressed, it's easy to point to the wrong things. Um, You must be able to identify the liver, the intestines, uh, pancreas, the spleen, kidneys, descending aorta, the vertebral body, rectus muscle, the diaphragm, and the inferior vena cava. And which structures of those are retroperitoneal? So the pancreas, the kidneys, the aorta, and the IVC. And where is the transpyloric plane? it passes through the lower border of L1. And what structures lie in the transpyloric plane? This one comes up a lot. Uh, The pylorus is free on the mesentery, uh, the pancreas, the head, neck, and body, uh, the fundus of the gallbladder, the conus medulla of the spinal cord, the SMA as it leaves the aorta, the hyla of both kidneys, the ninth costal cartilages, and the liver and spleen. The next question is about the aorta. Charlotte, could you outline the course of the abdominal aorta? So the abdominal aorta enters the abdomen through the aortic hiatus at the level of T12. It travels left of the midline and bifurcates at L4 just below the umbilicus. Describe the branches of the abdominal aorta. So these can be divided into unpaired and paired. The unpaired are the celiac, the superior mesenteric, and the inferior mesenteric. 
and the paired branches are the suprarenal, renal, gonadal, subcostal, inferior phrenic, lumbar, and common iliacs. What is the relationship of the IVC to the aorta? The IVC lies posterolateral to the right of the aorta. It leaves the abdomen through the caval opening of the diaphragm at T8 after draining from the lower limbs and other non-portal blood tributaries. These tributaries correspond to the paired vessels of the aorta. Name the branches of the celiac trunk and what they supply. The celiac trunk arises at T12. The branches are the left gastric, the common hepatic and splenic. It supplies the liver, stomach, spleen, esophagus, and the superior part of the duodenum and pancreas. Describe the arterial blood supply of the small and large intestine. The small intestine is supplied by the branches which arise from the superior mesenteric artery. The large intestine is supplied by both the superior mesenteric and the inferior mesenteric arteries. The SMA supplies the ascending and the proximal two-thirds of the transverse colon, and the IMA supplies the descending colon and the sigmoid and rectum. Describe the course of the iliac arteries. The common iliacs originate from the aorta at L3. They follow the medial border of the psoas to the pelvic brim. They divide at the level of L5-S1 into the internal and external iliacs. The internal iliac artery then enters the pelvis and the external iliac artery follows the iliopsoas and ends at the inguinal ligament where it becomes the femoral artery at the mid-inguinal point. The next question is about portosystemic anastomoses. Can you please describe the portosystemic anastomoses? Yes. The portosystemic anastomosis is the collateral communication between the portal and systemic venous system. There are four main sites. Esophageal. Esophageal veins drain into the ozygous or left gastric veins. The rectal, the inferior and middle rectal veins go into the IVC and the superior rectal veins go into the inferior mesenteric vein. Umbilical, paraumbilical veins and epigastric veins on the anterior abdominal wall. Retroperitoneal, visceral veins on the bare areas of the organs and the systemic veins on the posterior abdominal wall. And when do these become clinically significant? When there is an obstruction to portal flow from something, i.e. liver disease that leads to portal hypertension, blood is redirected to the lower pressure venous system via shunting. Portosystemic shunting occurs because there are no valves in the portal system. Over time, veins can become dilated and cause major hemorrhage via rupture. Typically in the ED, this is seen in esophageal varicelle. The next question is on the liver uh, and the anatomy of the liver. Of note, you need to be able to identify parts of the liver. There is a particular image in the anatomy book that has been used in past exams. Photo of the liver from underneath, and it is confusing if you've never seen it before. Can you name the lobes uh, of the liver? Yep, so you need to, in this image, which I think most people will have seen if they've flipped through that anatomy photo book, is you go through the left and right lobes, the chordate lobe, and then the quadrate lobe. You also have to point out the vascular stuff, which is your IVC, hepatic artery, and portal vein. Uh, things from the biliary system, so the common hepatic duct and the gallbladder, and then also the ligaments, so the ligamentum teres and the diaphragm. 
What are the anatomical relations of the liver? So the liver is located in the right upper portion of the abdominal cavity. It lies adjacent to the chest wall and ribs, and this is what makes it vulnerable during rib fractures. And one of the possible complications associated with low placement of a chest tube is damage to the liver. Superiorly, it abuts the right hemidiaphragm, and then inferiorly, it contacts the right kidney, the right adrenal gland, the right colic flexure, the transverse colon, the first part of the duodenum, and the stomach. Describe the anatomy of the biliary tree. So this one, you can, in the exam, you can draw it out if that's easier. Um, But just to describe it, you have the left and right hepatic ducts, which combine to form the common hepatic duct. And this is joined by the cystic duct, which comes from the gallbladder, to become the common bile duct, which then joins with the pancreatic duct and both empty into the duodenum. What is the blood supply of the liver? So the blood supply comes from the hepatic artery. It also comes from the portal vein and three hepatic veins. The next question is about the pancreas. What are the anatomical relationships of the pancreas? So posteriorly, we have the portal vein, the right renal artery and vein, the bile duct, superior mesenteric vessels, aorta, L2 vertebra, left kidney and left adrenal. Medially, we have the duodenum, which makes a C-shape around the head. Laterally, the hilum of the spleen at the tail of the pancreas. And anteriorly, the stomach, peritoneum, lesser mentum, and back. What are the parts of the duodenum? So there are four parts. The first part is the superior part, which runs to the right superiorly and posteriorly from the pylorus, anterior to the L1 vertebrae. Then the second part, known as the descending segment, which is covered by peritoneum in front and crossed by the transverse mesocolon, it crosses downward and over the hilum of the right kidney and then turns into the third part, which is the horizontal component. This curves forward over the right psoas and over the IVC and aorta to reach the left psoas. And then the fourth part, or the ascending part, ascends to the left of the aorta to lie on the left psoas and the sympathetic trunk. It reaches back up towards the lower border of the pancreas. What is the blood supply of the duodenum? So the first two centimetres of the first part has blood supply from almost everywhere. You've got the hepatic artery, the gastroduodenal artery, which is usually the one that ulcerates and bleeds, the supraduodenal artery and the right gastric and the right gastroepiploic arteries. The most of the rest is supplied via the celiac trunk, and that's done by the gastroduodenal artery, and then the SMA via the inferior pancreatic and duodenal arteries. Okay, so the next question is about the spleen. Can you please describe the anatomical relationships of the spleen? The spleen lies deep to and along the plane of the 9th, 10th and 11th ribs in the upper quadrant of the abdomen. Inferiorly, there is the left kidney and the splenic flexure of the colon. Superiorly and laterally is the diaphragm. Medially is the stomach and pancreas. Deep is the splenic artery and veins. question is on the renal tract and I seem to remember this came up quite a lot. Um, describe the relations of the right kidney. 
So the right kidney is surrounded by perinephric fat. Superiorly is the right adrenal, the liver, and the portal vein. Superiorly is the right lobe of the liver. Medially, there's the psoas and vertebrae. Posteriorly is the 12th rib, the abdominal muscles, and the deep back muscles. Anteriorly is the gallbladder, the duodenum, and the ascending colon. And then anteromedially is the right renal vein, the IVC, and the pancreas. Please outline the course of the ureters. This question definitely came up in my viva, and I think it's come up a few times in different years, sort of going on how many times it shows up on the ED vivas page. Um, the ureters originate at the renal hilum, so approximately L1, L2. They run inferiorly over the psoas muscle and just medial to the tips of the transverse processes of the lumbar vertebrae. They cross the pelvic brim over the SI joint and travel anterior to the bifurcation of the common iliac arteries. They lay on the lateral wall of the pelvis and then travel medially to the bladder at the ischial spines. There's a short intramural path at the vesicoureteric junction. What are the three narrowest points of the ureters? So that's the PUJ, the VUJ, and the pelvic brim. What is the arterial blood supply of the ureter? Renal arteries supply the upper portion. Gonadal vessels can supply some of the upper part. The mid portion is supplied by branches of the abdominal aorta, and then inferiorly it's supplied by branches of the common iliacs. Venous drainage is via the renal and gonadal vessels. question is about the bladder. Can you please describe the motor innervation of the bladder? Innervation is via both autonomic and somatic arms of the nervous system. Sympathetic fibers travel down via the hypogastric nerve plexus to excite the internal urethral sphincter and cause relaxation of the detrusor muscle. This promotes urinary retention. Parasympathetic fibers travel via the pelvic nerve and are the motor supply of the detrusor. They also provide inhibitory signals to the internal urethral sphincter, and this promotes micturition. Somatic innervation is via the pudendal nerve. It innervates the external urethral sphincter, providing voluntary control over micturition. And can you please describe the stretch reflex of the bladder? So this is a primitive spinal reflex arc. The bladder fills with urine and the bladder wall is stretched. Sensory nerves detect the stretch and transmit the information to the spinal cord. Interneurons within the spinal cord relay the signal to the parasympathetic efferent fibers. Pelvic nerve acts to contract the detrusor muscle to stimulate micturition. This reflex arc is overridden during the process of toilet training of children, but can be important to consider in spinal injury and in neurogenerative diseases where the brain is unable to generate inhibition. question is on the genital system. Um, what is the blood supply to the uterus? The uterine artery from the anterior division of the internal iliac artery supplies blood to the uterus. It crosses above the ureter on its course to the uterus, which you can remember by remembering bridge over water, so it's going over the ureter. It commonly anastomoses with the vaginal and ovarian arteries. What are the potential spaces within the female pelvis where free fluid may accumulate? So these are the rectouterine pouch and the vesicouterine pouch. What are the boundaries, relations, and the significance of the rectouterine pouch? 
So this is the inferior most extension of the peritoneal cavity and is important because it's a potential space for fluid collection. It exists between the anterior rectum and the posterior uterus, and it's close to the cervix and the posterior fornix of the vagina. It opens superiorly into the peritoneum, and the significance is this is where fluid collects. So the next question is about the male genital system. Now, for this question, you'll be asked to identify and model the components that make up the male urogenital system. What are the key things to identify in that model? So they would be the bladder, the ureter, the prostate gland, the seminal gland, the spermatic cord, the testis, the epididymis, and the penis. And what are the contents of the spermatic cord? The ductus deferens the artery of the ductus deferens, the testicular artery, the testicular vein and pampiniform plexus, the lymphatics and the autonomic nerves. And what are the components of the male urethra? The intramural component in the base of the bladder wall, the prostatic component in the prostate, the membranous component and the spongy component. Great. It's really hard when you are studying, I think those different components are called something different in each textbook. So if you just pick something that works and that you can remember, just go with that because often the examiners will have multiple options that you can say to get a correct answer. So don't get too caught up on the terminology as long as you have four different parts um, that have the relatively right name. Uh, David, what is the innovation of the urethra in a male? Prostatic nerve plexus arising from the inferior hypogastric plexus to the first three parts, then the dorsal nerve of the penis to the spongy part. And what is the lymphatic drainage of the male genitalia? Uh, the testicles, uh, the lymph drains back along the path of the testicular artery to the paraaortic nodes, and the skin from the scrotum of the penis drains the internal artery. Now, the next question is on the inguinal canal. Can you tell me what is the difference between a direct and indirect hernia? So a direct hernia is acquired and that the way to remember that is it goes directly through the muscle. So it's secondary to a weakness in the anterior abdominal wall. It traverses the medial third of the inguinal canal and exits through the superficial ring lateral to the cord. The direct hernia is rarely into the scrotum, whereas an indirect hernia is a congenital condition which occurs due to a patent processus vaginalis, which allows communication between the peritoneum and the scrotum, and it traverses the entire canal from the internal to the external ring. It travels inside the cord and either can extend into the scrotum in males or the external labia. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the podcast for abdominal and pelvic anatomy. At the end of the podcast, I usually like to ask people if they have any particular advice for those who are getting set up to sit the primary exam. I know it's been a little while and you've set some other exams <laughs> in yeah. the meantime, but um, do you have any advice for anyone who's sitting down getting ready to start studying for their first primary exam? I think uh, doing as many MCQs as possible is crucial. Uh, so I'd signed up for two MCQ banks and I'd done every question in them three times. Um, and what I used to do would be pick a topic, do a bank of MCQs on them, then actually go read about the topic 
and then use the other bank to do further questions on it. So when I was doing the first lot of questions, it would kind of prime me to gauge, you know, what's crucial, what's important information before I read this topic. And then hopefully I'd pay attention while doing the study and reading the component um, of the topic. And then, you know, to, I suppose, solidify what you've just read, doing the MCQ afterwards, I found was a good structure and kind of strategy for me. And that's what I just kept doing on repeat for every single topic. Mm, That's such good advice, because I think one of the hardest things with the primary exam is actually figuring out what you need to know. So as much as it would be soul crushing to do, (laughs) I mean, the MCQs are soul crushing anyway, but to do them having not done any reading on the subject really gives you an idea of what they need. Yeah, prepare to feel pretty stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I remember doing like getting 20% in some pharmacology thing. It would have done better for guessing like, but uh, yeah, Yeah. just have a go. And I think it's a good way to do it. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and for joining me on the podcast. (laughs) 